Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hi, welcome to episode six of It's a Continent. We're back. We're back. Yes, I'm excited for this one. I'm really excited for this one. So this is our, I think it's our third week remote recording now. Um, any sort of highlights or gems to share? My highlight is finding out how to pronounce Elon Musk's kid's name. Like he revealed Ooh. it the other day. Yeah, because I've been like, how do you pronounce it? Do you need to like, but it's X-A-12. Sorry, wait, what? Say that again? X-A-12. X. When I look at it, it looks like an equation. So I, I always had an aversion to mathematical equations. So I just kind of glaze over when I see X-Ash. X-Ash. x Yes. X-ash. A12. Okay, well, I wonder how the teachers will be pronouncing that name in school. Do you know, to be honest, that kid is not going to have any issues, is he? Oh, yeah, probably not, actually. He's not going to know. He doesn't know the... He will never know the struggle of the teacher seeing your name in the register and being like, oh, how do we pronounce this one then? And it's when you know, you can see that look in their face and you're like, oh, it's me, isn't it? It's me, it's me. And at, at, at some point, I knew it was me and I'd be like, it's Astrid and this is a set do you know what i mean i was just let's not let's not embarrass ourselves right here to yeah. Uh, yeah it's like <laughs> i'll save you i'll save you that yeah. one time actually uh someone tried to help them and i said to them shh don't do that and uh he tried to give me lunchtime detention for, for doing that so Seriously? you know people are very yeah <laughs> uh it's a very salty environment essex wow um, but uh yeah so yeah, that is my highlight of the week. It's the little things in life at this point, the little things. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It, it's something that gives us a bit of a smile. Yeah. Congrats to Elon and, and Grimes. Yeah, congrats. So where are we this week? This week we are talking about Liberia and how this country was formed. So Liberia is a country in West Africa, for those of us not familiar. And if you look at the Liberian flag, it's essentially a replica of the United States. So there's like a star and stripe pattern. Um, there are 11 stripes representing the 11 men who signed the Liberian Declaration of Independence. So Monrovia, which is the capital of Liberia, is named after James Monroe, the fifth president of the United States. The number plate system on cars is also modelled on that of the US, with school, society and politics modelled on that country. And there are even yellow school buses. So, yeah, imagine that. So this is basically a copy and paste of America. Yeah, so within a, different... a tropical environment. Ooh. Quite often and misleadingly, Liberia is often referred to as one of the only two African countries that were not colonised. So whilst Liberia was not carved up during the coloniser bun fight, a.k.a. the scramble for Africa, the country was actually founded by Americans in the 1820s by the American Colonization Society, also known as the ACS. So very different meaning for ACS. Well, totally uh, different meaning to ACS. <laughs> Imagine showing up to your freshers week, like, oh, I'm looking to join the ACS. And then there's just like a load of Confederate flags. You're like, oh, this oh, is not. Yes, this is, this is not the Africa... <laughs> Afro-Caribbean society, no. guys. That's not... No, this is different. This is very different. This is not where I wanted to be. Wow. So, yeah, they... 
the ACS actually in this case, when we refer to it, will be referring to the American Colonization Society. Like honestly, AC for both of those things to have the same acronyms, honestly, it's just a little bit of irony there. Wow. Who were the ACS? In 1816, the ACS was formed by Robert Finley. This group was set up to encourage voluntary migration of free black Americans to the African continent. So because it would be that easy, you know, to migrate to not even a country, but just a continent. Yeah, just just if you could just the vicinity of, you know, if you could just go back to Africa, that would be great. That's fine. You know, I can just you're kind of roughly from there. So if I dump you anywhere within that space, you'll be able to make your own way back, aren't you? If you could just follow the breadcrumbs, I'm sure you'll find your way back to your native village. Ultimately, African-Americans had every right to remain in the United States as the country was essentially built on the backs of slaves. So, you know, you you built this. Pretty much. Please yep. stay here. But, oh no, um, they had to go back to the continent regardless of whether they were actually from the Caribbean and just being like, oh no, you're here, so you can deal with that. You're also black, so feel free to mingle and <laughs> make this your home. Yeah. <laughs> It pretty much like kind of highlights the disposability of these black people because it's like, oh yeah, oh you've done your job now. If you could just, oh sorry, I can't actually remember where you're from, but if you could just go back, yeah, so we can just live our lives now off off what you did for us. So yeah, so disposable to them, but hey, the movement was supported by both slaveholders and abolitionists for different reasons. So for slaveholders, they were concerned about the growing number of freed slaves and their potential ability to help black Americans who remained as slaves to escape or form a slave rebellion. Because obviously that would not be a good idea for the slaveholders if that happened. Oh no, oh no, can't be having one of those. No, we can't have them coming together and then attacking us. But both sides believe that because of America's racist system, it would be out of the question for African-Americans to integrate into American culture. These people needed to go somewhere free of white prejudices. So isn't this behavior in itself racist? Exactly. Rather than like, oh, hey, uh, thanks for helping us out. If you could just uh, come into our society, it's fine. You know, we'll give you reparations. Yeah, no, definitely. And look at them just being like plonked in some random country and being like yeah this all you're better off there it's against you know you're far removed from this white prejudices and actually for them to recognize that they themselves have these prejudices and so had to push use but not even address that do you know what I mean use that as a reason to then push guys you created the problem how does solving yeah. the problem mean I'm going to send you away and basically help have you figure it out? Like, it's just... They're essentially like, yeah, we, we are racist, but um, we don't want to change. So you can't live here, essentially. Definitely. And it definitely plays on that assumption that Africa is monolithic. You know, they'll find their mm. own way home. And that, you know, this whole idea of like, if they're there, they'll all figure out they're all the same. But actually, no, you've got these, as we've discussed in previous episodes, it's about very much smaller communities. That's how kind of Africa is built upon. And so, you know, you did have tensions between different groups and, you know, racism stems within that. So it's just crazy that they didn't think that would happen because within Europe in itself, that happens. So obviously... Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of as if all those white people got along in Europe, isn't yeah. it? No, definitely not. Some abolitionists believe that black Americans would face an increased chance at freedom and prosperity 
than if they remained in the US. So they saw the ACS as a system set to repatriate freed slaves and eventually end slavery. Oh, what a nice way to just tie it in a bow. Oh, this will help end slavery. Honestly, this is the kind of thing that literally drives me mad. On the other hand, the African-American community who this society was set up to influence was overwhelmingly opposed to this project as many of them descended from families who'd lived in the United States for many generations. So, you know, same logic stating that they were no more African than the Americans were European. So... To be fair, it's pretty yeah. understandable that they didn't see themselves as Africans. Yeah, I mean, th- some people say, oh, why don't they see themselves that way? But, I mean, it's quite difficult to put your head into the mind of, like, that sort of trauma that they've been through. Because if you do think of the logic that those white people from Europe now say that they're American, then why shouldn't those Africans that were forcibly taken over and then indoctrinated to believe that they were, you know, they had no more roots? so. All they could cling to was that American identity, albeit, you know, completely different from the white American experience. And definitely because they had every right to also own that culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like me being dumped right now to in the DRC and then being like, okay, go and make your way. Yes, I'll be able to. But at the same time, I identify as in both cultures because I've kind of yeah. grown up in both places, much more in the UK. But... I still have elements of that. So it's unfair to kind of be like, okay, we forced you to pick this side, even though we also forced you to come to our country and become a slave. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not even as if they were like, oh, let's, you know, let, let, we want to travel over to America and, you know, for a better opportunity. No, no. Like, these people were forcibly removed. So, you know. You have every right this... to own that culture and be part of, feel a part of that identity because that was forced upon you. Like. Exactly. Frederick Douglass, a former slave who later became a prominent activist and author, said of the ACS's initiative, we live here, have lived here, have a right to live here, and mean to live here. Also, Martin Delaney, an African-American abolitionist, thought to be one of the first supporters of black nationalism, called Liberia a miserable mockery of an independent republic and a racist scheme of the ACS to rid the United States of free blacks. There is also evidence indicating that emigration was not necessarily voluntary and some black Americans were pressured to emigrate, with some being freed from slavery under the condition that they emigrate to the African continent. Just a side note, so the British did a similar scheme in Sierra Leone, right next door to Liberia, where they transported freed black slaves from the British Empire to Freetown, Sierra Leone's capital. Freetown? Oh my gosh, Freetown. Really? Yeah, I mean, if a capital was an ironic name, then um, Freetown would be one of them, definitely. I swear, whoever came up with that name just did it for a bit of a joke internally. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, really? You're telling me that was, out of all the letters in the alphabet, Freetown was what you came up with? Really? It's like you're free, but you've been forced to go here, so it kind of negates the whole idea. But that's, you know, that's, this is what we like to highlight because whilst history lessons focus on transatlantic slavery taking enslaved Africans to the United States, there was a whole lot going on within the British Empire as well. So let's not forget that. Yeah, the British Empire were like, you know, we need to keep up um, momentum here, guys. We cannot let the US, you know, get ahead of us. We need to do our own thing. Yeah. Well, do the same thing. And also it just begs the question, are they really free if they're being forced to settle elsewhere? and still force migration nonetheless. Do you know what I mean? Like Exactly. 
1822, the ACS founded Liberia as a colony of the United States. In the previous year, Lieutenant Robert Stockton gained this area of land by persuading the local Bassa chief, King Peter, to sell Cape Mercerado with a pistol to the head. So obviously, you know, the typical kind of American colonist way, when in doubt, use a gun. Mm -hmm. That's how you get stuff done. That's how you get your demands, you know. When they say liberate, when they held those guns, they got what they wanted, huh? (laughs) By the end of 1821, the ACS gained a foothold on the African continent in exchange for muskets, gunpowder, nails, beads, tobacco, shoes, soap and rum. But the colonists still wanted more. So Jehudi Ashman, representative to Liberia and an ACS agent, took steps to lease, annex or buy lands belonging to indigenous Africans along the coast and on major rivers. Basically, valuable land. Drawing on his inspiration, Robert Stockton, Ashman used aggressive tactics to extend the colony's territory with a treaty signed in May 1825. This provided Ashman and the ACS with valuable African land, in exchange for 500 bars of tobacco, three barrels of rum, five casks of powder, five umbrellas, ten iron posts and ten pairs of shoes, amongst other items. I'm not going to lie, but we were not good at trading. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what what was happening here, but then again, they are using aggressive tactics. Um, I mean, if you had a gun to your head, you'd probably... um, To be fair, I'd take five umbrellas as well, so yeah. Yeah, I I probably would would take uh, iron posts, I think, at that point. And also, it's quite interesting how, um, like, the bit about kind of Robert Stockton and stuff. Colonizers, when you talk about things being inspired by, they were inspired by other people doing exactly the same thing. Like, it's just so nuts. Oh, Why yeah. not be ins- find inspiration in some good, you know? Please. But I guess not. Being good does not get you land, Astrid. That is true. That is true. That is why I'm still renting, so... <laughs> <laughs> why i do not have my own property (laughs) that's where i'm going wrong by this time the u.s and britain the uh slavery heavyweights there so we have the colonizer derbies and all that kind of stuff but don't forget slavery heavyweights are the u.s and the british empire Mm -hmm. outlawed the slave trade so the american navy captured illegal slave trading ships apparently liberating those on board and settling them in liberia around 5,000 recaptured african slaves settled in liberia and around 3,000 Afro-Caribbeans were also relocated to Liberia. That's just nuts. Initial pioneers to the new colony suffered high mortality rates from being exposed to new tropical diseases as well as a lack of infrastructure. Of the 4,571 emigrants who arrived Liberia between 1820 to 1843, only 1,819 were alive in 1843. Wow. The ACS, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a shocking statistic, to be honest. Like, it's just to lose that many people. But hey, we've sent you home, right? So you should be Yeah, it's able not a problem to... because, yeah, they've gone home now. We, I mean, we can carry on being racist and they can just, you know, find their way. The ACS were very aware of this extremely high death rate, but carried on sending more free black Americans to the colony. A paper written by Tom Schick in 1971 mentions how the organisation continued to send more people to Liberia while very much aware of the chances of survival. The organisers of the ACS considered themselves to be humanitarians performing the work of God. White saviour alarm. Tell me about it. And do you know how they're just like wrapping this up in the whole like, oh yeah, yeah no, we're doing the work of what? You're, we're doing the work of God. 
what so you mean the fact that you are fully aware that people will lose their lives the majority of these people will die going out there but you know what at least you're sending them back they're free right exactly exactly i i mean they're obviously quite ill prepared here so it, it doesn't really you know, and in terms of the environment, you know, these sort of diseases like malaria, all these sort of things that they were never exposed to. So this is essentially almost like a second, you know, if you're forcibly allowing people to die and they're still carrying on, then that's almost like a sort of genocidal kind of, you know, mm-hmm. action. You could just be like, oh, no, but we freed you guys. You guys had the ability, you know, to set all these things up. But these guys were, the, were still slaves. Do you know what I mean? Were you educating them as slaves? Were you... At which point, it's just this fact that you kind of feel like, yeah, okay, you're over there. This is your problem now. Try and fix and learn of all of this yourself. It's like sending a kid out to the big wide world and be like, okay, go and learn how to make money. You just be like, um, what do I, what do I do? On June the twenty sixth, eighteen forty seven, Liberia declared independence from the United States, making it the first post colonial African state. The US government refused to acknowledge Liberia's independence until 1862 due to opposition from Southern congressmen. Really? How can you honestly refuse independence for people you said are free? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, nothing makes sense. As we can see, facts don't really seem to matter with, with the colonizers here. They're just like it's making it up as they go along, honestly. At this point, we want to explore the idea of black imperialism. Yeah. You had that right, guys. Black imperialism. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But yeah, it really does. So the concept of black imperialism almost sounds like an oxymoron, but actually this is the reality of what was going on in Liberia. Indigenous African societies had very little or no political power in the new Liberian Republic, as power lay in the hands of African-American settlers, also known as Americo-Liberians. In 1931, an international commission revealed that several prominent American Liberians even had slaves. Not sure what's more ironic here, right? I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is like probably got the record, the record for the most amount of times we've said ironic in an episode. Because Oh my gosh, it definitely has. So if you're going to play bingo, this is the one with the word ironic. <laughs> it's just a complete like head spin. I don't understand. You've you've been descended from slavery or you've recently been emancipated and you want slaves but you know where's the black solidarity non-existent here non-existent americo liberians never amounted to more than five percent of liberia's population but in the 19th and 20th centuries they made up a hundred percent of qualified voters They controlled key resources that allowed them to enslave the local native people and control their access to the ocean, education and literacy. A caste system was essentially set up reflecting segregation in the US, where American Liberians were at the top and indigenous Liberians were at the bottom. In a massive hint of irony, they believed that all dwellers in Liberia had the potential to become civilised through Western-style education and converting to Christianity. And in this way, they suppressed the indigenous population running the colony as a little America. But of course, America is a deeply flawed civilization. Definitely. I mean, (sighs) if we start off with America, right, we... Slavery is essentially taken to be viewed as the original sin. We've heard, you know, you always hear those comments though. Oh, it was ages ago. Oh, forget about it. Get over it, you know. 
But the reason why, you know, we can't yeah. stop talking about it and it, it's relevant to the conversations we have when just discussing the history, even the modern history um, about the African continent, is because of its implications in building Western civilizations into the behemoth that it is today. Mm-hmm. So we know that America would be nothing without having generations of enslaved Africans working for free. And the problem with this is if you want to model a successful society, you can't choose a society that is heavily flawed in this way like in this model like a group of people have to be oppressed to make the system work so yeah you know and i'm not trying to justify what they were doing but you know when we're saying earlier about like why they were identifying themselves as american liberians were identifying themselves as americans it's because the culture they grew up in america that's what they knew so to a certain degree it makes sense that they copied and pasted what they bought to a certain degree but at the same time Hans, why are you copying and pasting the slim slavery you guys experienced? Yeah, I, yeah. It, it, why? <laughs> You've been freed. You do not need to do this to anyone yeah, else. Yes, exactly. America Liberians essentially ran a segregated policy, rarely intermarrying with indigenous Africans. In fact, the native population of Liberia were not recognised as citizens until 1904. America Liberians dominated Liberia's social order and because they had been born in the US for several generations before emigrating to Liberia, they held American cultural, religious and social values. There you go then. (laughs) Like, it's understandable that they just decided, you know what, we need to recreate America. I guess it's kind of like, I don't know if they were missing it, but really, were you missing being a slave? (laughs) Yeah, it's not very nostalgic, is it? Gosh, when I think of nostalgia, that is not a bit I want to remember. (laughs) American Liberian rule heavily influenced Liberia's development, introducing English as the national language and mimicking America's political and social structure. They built churches and houses in a similar way to the southern US and they held beliefs in Protestant Christianity, while systematically oppressing religions native to the region. But they didn't know any better, did they? Yeah, as we were saying, it's like... Did they actually know anything else? And they've already been indoctrinated by Europeans to the point where now they're feeling superior to the indigenous Africans. Like, it's so complex, like, how, what the African-Americans at this time went through because they've spent a lot of time, you know, and of course, when you, within the slavery, um, lighter slaves would get preferential treatment. So they already have yeah. all of those negative things about black people and self-hate inbuilt so now they're essentially acting that out in this society and do you think they kind of in a weird way needed to feel powerful again as individuals because they had all of that kind of identity stripped away from them their freedom and all of a sudden is how do i feel like a person who's in control i've got a I don't don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense because, I mean, they always say that, like, bullies are usually those who've been bullied in the past because they want that power. And, like, it's... I think that's kind of, like, a very extreme version of what's happened here because it's, like, after years of being put down, it's, like, I, I want to be like that. I want to be, like, the oppressor. It's really weird how those sort of societies then allow for those who feel oppressed to want to be the oppressor yeah yeah but it's it's still bad but to a certain degree i think also can understand why it happened in this way i just kind of wish they had a different outlook because yes they were plonked onto this random country but i think there was definitely an opportunity there to really rebuild potentially and actually kind of still have power and still feel human again but in a more positive way 
than how it ended up being yes exactly and i kind of think though as well like um like for example you know there was this kind of movements Mm. around how people who uh, perhaps would be living in western countries all their lives and they'll go back to the country of their heritage so they might go back to lagos or something there's always a danger of coming in with that mindset as well of being like or feeling superior because of growing up in a western country and come if you would then move to back to your country of origin I, I kind of think that those attitudes are still in place today to a certain degree obviously not to the degree of like you know colonizing the whole nation but like no, it's yeah. that that superior having the kind of like complex yes in terms of like yeah yeah mm-hmm. no definitely exactly no, exactly and i think that's kind of what what we're seeing but on a on a greater level For around 100 years from Liberia's independence from the US until 1980, the Americo-Liberian True Whig Party dominated Liberian politics in what was essentially a one-party state. Americo-Liberians ruled the country of Liberia as a one-party state for 133 years. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Honestly, I just cannot. Do you think, like, Liberians at the time were just thinking, like, guys, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) well it's got to the point where like power was so unattainable that the the small minority of american liberians were able to just pass the power between themselves like the nepotism must have been so strong do you know how it would any guesses as to how you know this 130 year reign sort of came to an end oh it's gotta be that classic coup we love a coup oh it's of course. I'd be disappointed if it wasn't. <laughs> well, of course, it's a coup. During the 1970s, the majority of colonized countries were independent, and the newly educated indigenous Liberians grew frustrated with American Liberians and their oppressive system, with regular riots taking place. Indigenous Liberians demonstrated against rising food prices, but this was violently put down by the government, which seemed to be the final straw. Samuel Doe was an indigenous sergeant in the Liberian army who wasn't publicly known before he led a coup against the government on the 12th of April 1980. William Talbot, the president at the time, was executed along with members of this cabinet. Shortly after the coup, government ministers were put on trial and sentenced to death with no rights to a defence. There were walks around the beaches of Monrovia naked and were executed by firing squad on the beach. There are actually pictures of this. It's quite harrowing. Um, but yeah, it just goes to, to show the dehumanisation um, that took place during this coup. This military coup was labelled as a revolution by the men who toppled Tolbert's government. Samuel Doe then claimed the position as Liberia's head of state, ending Americo-Liberian rule in 1980, which had lasted since independence from the US. Some have since scrutinised the involvement of the United States in this coup as well, because, I mean, if I mean, wouldn't put it past them, because throughout modern history, the US seems to have this sort of innate inability to, to mind their own business when it comes to international relations. Yeah, they're just like, I've just got to get involved. Got to get involved a little bit. I can't just be sitting back. It's just, I'm just, I'm just popping in. Does anyone want anything? (laughs) Oh, are you sure? Are you really sure though? But let me help you anyway, or (laughs) attempt to, whilst also causing huge destruction. Just the background on William Tolbert. He became president of Liberia in 1971 after the death of William Tubman, the former president. 
Talbot was previously vice president of the nation, and during the 70s, Talbot struggles to balance reforming Liberia's agenda and international leadership aspirations against growing pressure from the true Whig Party and the United States. The Cold War was happening at the time between Eastern and Western superpowers, which had an indirect effect on former Western colonies, including Liberia. Talbot wasn't happy with the extent of the support the US offered Liberia and set about pursuing policies that undermined the ability of American companies to exploit Liberian resources. He also established relations with Cuba, Libya and the Soviet Union, which is a no for me dog, said the US. Winston Talbot, the president's son, said the US government looked at him as a radical, a leftist, and that he was not in support of the Cold War policies. He was an irritant to the American establishment. The surviving families of the old Americo-Liberian elite have entertained the possibility that the coup was enabled by American Cold War interests. Victoria Tolbert's, President Tolbert's widow, noted that her husband's killers exclaimed they would receive a $25,000 bounty for their handiwork. Many of them were indeed haunted by the idea that US actions led to Tolbert's demise. And interestingly, the coup leaders formed the People's Redemption Council to govern the country also known as the PRC. Samuel Doe was a strategic Cold War ally of the West and received significant financial backing from the US, whilst others condemned the PRC for corruption and political repression. From 1980 to 1985, Liberia actually received more aid from the US than they ever had in the entire history of Liberia. So there's a slight flag going off there. Yeah, just a bit of a red flag in terms of what was actually, how big of an involvement did the US have? Like, why are you then giving so much aid at this point? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, it's just a coincidence. In 2009, the final report of Liberia's Truth and Reconciliation Commission was published in which it alleges that during the Talbot era, quote, both the CIA and the Pentagon were now prospecting for leadership change in Liberia. Another red flag. Or maybe an amber flag. Yeah, another, an additional flag. <laughs> <laughs> Family members of those who lost loved ones during the coup established the April 22nd Memorial Group to push for further disclosures. This isn't necessarily the end of Liberia's story. The country went through a long period of instability, coups and civil wars with gruesome and horrifying consequences. And I advise that if you are eating, stop. One example of this is the murder of Samuel Doe. So after ousting Talbot in a coup, so this is Samuel Doe, the guy that came along and ended America-Liberian rule, he ended up having the same thing happen to him around a decade later. He was tortured by faction leaders before being murdered. And then after his murder, his ears, fingers and toes were cut off. And the next day, his body was cut up, cooked and eaten. It's safe to say that the country has essentially been through a lot. It's just so, yeah, yeah, just so many different, so many things. And I think it's important to recognise, like, as we were saying earlier, when people are like, you know, why hasn't kind of countries within the continent really developed i hate that word but it's yeah because of these kind of stories this is exactly why it's so many changes you have people from you know slaves from america brought into a new country into a country and then from there all of this stuff happens and a coup and then another coup and then do you know what i mean it's just all of this stuff happening which yeah. prevents real progress Growth. exactly so just looking at the like current day george Weir who is also regarded as one of the greatest African footballers of all time. He's actually the only African to have won the golden... Is it Ballon d'Or? Ballon d'Or. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Listen to you and your French. Next level. Oui. Ah oui. That's the UEFA (laughs) exposure there. Yeah. 
Uh, so he was sworn in as president on January the 22nd, 2018. This was Liberia's first transition between democratically elected leaders since 1944. And in fact, his predecessor was Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who made history as the first elected female president in the entire African continent. There is small progress being made, as we can see, but I mean, it's very difficult, as we said, to come back from such a difficult history and, and a different difficult formation. It's like they didn't choose to be there. Yeah, definitely. And it's it all happening in such a small period of time. Mm. If we think like we're both 90s kids, you know what I mean? Like these kind of these were ha- the, all this stuff was happening around this time and also previously. And it's, you know, it's pretty fair to say that they're still, you know, yeah. those are the reasons why kind of countries like Liberia are in such a situation because, you know, it's all very quickly and in a very, yeah. The reason why, of course, you know, this might be a bit unstable is because the origins of that country were unstable to begin with. Yeah, honestly, I don't even, yeah. I think what just like blows my mind is the fact that like there was just no sort of pan-African presence, not even a like no solidarity, like just showing the extent of which the america liberians were disconnected you know from the continent that they would choose to to do that to their own people it's well i say their own people but they didn't see it like that you know they didn't see it like that and to be fair like they didn't have to because to be honest i think even in this like i think it just goes back to this point in terms of like it's not just because someone has black skin does not mean they will identify with someone else yeah, who has well, the same skin colour. They're very different people. Like, they're very different people still. And I think... I mean... T- do you know what I mean? To be fair, if you saw a black person in the office and you gave them the nod and they didn't nod back... Oh, I love the nods. If they didn't nod back, though. Oh my gosh, they didn't do it back. They didn't. But yeah, he was a bit odd. I was like, oh my God, he didn't nod back. Oh, I couldn't... Uh... Oh no! I I always nod back because there's very few of us in the office. So <laughs> you got you got you got to nod back. You've got to nod back. The audacity of like, not nodding back. Wow! And this is basically American Liberians. They were not nodding back. <laughs> they were definitely not. <laughs> Liberians tried to give them the nods, and the American Liberians were like, Nah, nah, nah no, you are not. That's pretty much the story in a nutshell. Yeah. So thank you for listening, guys. And yeah, that was episode six. We're getting there. We've got uh, two more episodes to go until the end of season one. Yeah, so, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's like we're talking end of season one already. But, ah, I know. Yeah. I know, I know. Two more episodes, so two more episodes, guys. So yeah, exciting. Yeah. So in two weeks' time, we will be covering Kenya and exploring the first woman to win a Nobel Peace Prize from the African continent. So, yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, cannot wait. Cannot wait to cover that one. So, see you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.